Welcome to the March or Die show today. Very glad to have you joining me. Thank you for spending this time on Father's Day weekend with me. If you're listening after the weekend, this show is released on Saturday morning. If you're listening after that, maybe it's Monday, you're getting into work, you're on your way there, maybe you're coming home. Perhaps it's even later than that. Thank you for listening. I want you to mentally put yourself back on the Saturday morning before Father's Day. That's when this is being released. And today, I do want to take a few minutes to challenge the dads out there. I'm going to talk today about something that I really believe, absolutely believe, can impact not only our homes and our communities, certainly that, we'll talk about that a little bit today, but our churches for sure and the future of our country. This is the March or Die show where we talk about moving forward when it would be easier to stay where you are and die. It's that understanding that we can put one foot in front of the other and keep moving forward even when there are obstacles, trials, and difficulties. And today we're going to talk about exactly that, but from the position or the perspective, if you will, of being a dad. Again, thank you for joining me. Always a privilege to have you listening in. I love to be able to share this content, and my prayer and my hope is that it will be an encouragement to you as you listen. If it's not an encouragement to you as you listen, just keep that to yourself. I don't want to hear it. But if you love it, (laughs) go ahead and let me know. Uh, Also, if I can answer questions from time to time, folks will send emails with questions maybe some insights, some thoughts, asking perhaps even just to expound on what I have said here. And I love to get those. You can find my contact information on my website, jeremystalnicker.com, jeremystalnicker.com. There's a way there for you to contact me. Also a place that you can sign up for my newsletter. I'd love for you to do that weekly newsletter where I send out content, again, intended to be a help and an encouragement to you. My blog is there. That's where I write every week. On many times topics I discuss on this show, maybe other things that are going on, um, there is a uh, new tab on my website dealing specifically uh, with cultural issues. So I have a blog. I've been writing on that for a number of years, adding a section on cultural issues, trying to just help give some insights and some understanding on some of the issues that we're dealing with as Christians and as Americans, and I hope that will be a help as well. It's a resource there for you. JeremyStalnicker.com, all of the stuff about me, including links out to to socials, that's all there. And finally, if you'd like to, go over to YouTube. You can find my channel there. Look for my name, Jeremy Stalnicker. Everything I have is under my name. It's just simpler that way. Go ahead and check that out, and that would be awesome. All right, let's jump into this today. Um, Man, if you're not a dad... I hope that uh, there are some principles here that will help you. I believe there are some principles here that will help you. But I want to speak for just a couple of minutes to dads. And we're going to look at an example from the Bible of a dad that, uh, man, he was a good guy. He was one of the good guys, but he got it wrong on this dad thing. And we're going to talk about that for a minute uh, as we get into this. But I don't think it would be any, uh, it, it would be confusing to anyone or it would be a stretch for anyone to look at the world that we're living in, to look at the culture and society around us, and come to the conclusion that we're in a very difficult moment in history. We're in a very difficult moment in history. In fact, if you evaluate the moment that we're living through by just about any criteria, it's a rough one. (laughs) Uh, We could look economically. Uh, Okay, let's just take that. Economically, how are we doing? How's the health of our nation, the health of our culture, just from a financial standpoint? 
as bad as it has been in the last 50 or 60 years. Gas prices at record levels, inflation climbing faster than it has in 20 or 25 years, uh, moving to places that we perhaps have never seen it. I have not in my lifetime. Housing prices going up, inflation driving interest rates up, (laughs) everything on an economic plane, everything in the economic world would indicate that we're in a very difficult spot. Now, uh, I know even in difficult economic times, there are people that know how to make money. I'm not one of them. Maybe you are. You love it. That's great. For most of us, this is a difficult period of time to live in, coming out of COVID and all the shutdowns and all the financial hardships that came with that. Now businesses are trying to deal with supply chain issues and, uh, again, inflation and all the other stuff that's going along with it. Very difficult time to be alive. Uh, We could set that aside, though. That's just one thing. We could say, well, uh, how about on on a moral footing? Morally, how are we doing as a culture and as a society? When it comes to looking at the world through a moral framework, uh, trying to see things in the way or from the perspective that God would desire for us to. How is the world looking right now? How is our culture looking right now? The United States of America, how are we doing? Uh, We're dealing with gender issues. We're dealing with absolute mass hysteria in our country over what it means to be a man or a woman, how we define those, and whether or not we even should try to define those. What should be taught to very small children in schools and what should be left alone? We're dealing with so many other issues that could be lumped into the moral category that we would have to conclude this is a very difficult time in our nation. We have economically, we have morally, socially things are as chaotic as they've ever been. Part of that is because of social media, the internet, technology. It's just created a social environment that is strange and in many ways harmful. It can also be helpful, but in many ways it's harmful. Suicide rates among the very young are higher than they've ever been. We see violence, so many things happening in our nation. And then we could talk about the politics of it all and politicians and the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. This is a very difficult time in which to live. The outlook, not so bright. We have to be pragmatic, I think, sometimes when we're looking at current events. And practically speaking, understand, this is the ebb and flow of life. We can look back historically and see that we have had other difficult times in the past. We've had times of prosperity and times of difficulty. We've had good economic times and bad economic times, uh, moral upheaval in our country and and relative moral um, balance in our country where people are seeing things generally the same way. We've uh, had times where we're very patriotic and times where we're not so patriotic. This is the ebb and flow of life and the ebb and flow of national life and uh, life in a nation like ours. We know that. And pragmatically or practically, we should take a view like that, understanding the bigger picture. This is not the first time we've lived through a difficult time in our society, in our culture, in our country. I will say this, though. This may be the first time that we've experienced such difficulty while at the center of that difficulty was the unraveling or the disintegration of the home and the church, community connections, 
and our system of governance all at the same time. I could spend an entire episode just talking about that. The disintegration, the brokenness of the family, the brokenness of our communities. In so many ways, uh, our churches even are are broken. There are some wonderful churches and some wonderful, very strong Christian people. But uh, our churches are struggling right now, an institution that is hurting. Our political system being undermined. All of these institutions that once allowed us to, to weather the storm, to come out on the other side of the storm and recalibrate, these institutions that have grounded us for so long are now being undermined. In many cases, very strong attempts at destruction. So we look to the future, and we look to a generation that is passing through this difficult time, and they're going to lead us into the future. And one of the issues that causes that future to look bleak or dim is the fact that those who we are counting on to carry us forward, to revitalize, to renew, to recalibrate, to get us back to a place where we need to be. Those that we're relying on to do that have never experienced healthy families, strong community relationships, strong churches, a political system that's working the way that it was designed. They've never encountered or experienced, lived through what is right. So coming out of the brokenness of our current day, we have a hard time recalibrating We don't know what to do or where to go, which causes us to look into an uncertain future. And the future is always uncertain, but we're looking into an uncertain future with very little hope that we have the leadership necessary coming up behind us to get us back on track and guide us forward. Unfortunately, I think many of us look at what we're dealing with as a nation and we simply conclude, if you will, that it's going to be okay even if it continues to get bad, even if these institutions, the home and the church and our community institutions, even if those are being undermined and eventually destroyed, it's going to be okay because I won't be here when things get really, really bad. We can just hang on, and if we can hang on long enough and make ourselves comfortable enough, eventually we'll be gone. Whatever happens next, it's going to happen, but I won't be here to deal with it. It's very short-sighted living, but it's how many people are living. I bring this up on this Father's Day weekend because I absolutely believe that God is still capable of bringing revival and renewal and restoration to a country like ours. I absolutely believe it. I believe that his word is still true and his principles are still true and effective, uh, that a nation who will turn to God and who will follow him will find prosperity. I absolutely believe we are not beyond the brink of hope. I believe there is still hope. However, I do believe as well that God has instituted fathers and the men in the home that could be husbands, even if they don't have children, to lead their families to follow God, to pursue His will, to live according to His word, and then to bear the benefit of doing just that. I believe that in God's plan, it is 
the men of a culture and the men of a society, and in particular husbands and fathers who are designed by God and called by God to lead families and societies and cultures forward. And yet, in so many ways, men, we become overwhelmed by what's happening. It's hard enough just to get through a day. Work is overwhelming as is the rest of our lives. We don't have much left to invest. We hope our kids, whom we love, will do well when we're gone, but we don't have anything left to invest in them. We fall back on this hope that things are going to be fine as long as we are here. We go to the Bible, and it's crazy Different people in different places and different times, but people are basically people (laughs) everywhere. We're all basically the same. We struggle with the same stuff and deal with the same stuff. The story I've come across many times in in Scripture as I've read through the Bible. I came across it again this week. It's a story of a king by the name of Hezekiah. If you're not familiar with the story of Hezekiah, make yourself familiar. You can find his story in uh, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, the book of Isaiah. I'll read a couple of verses from Isaiah today. King Hezekiah was, by all indications, one of the good guys. If you know the history of the nation of Israel, you know that it was divided, the nation of Israel was, until David came along, divided into a northern and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel was called Israel. That is where many of the bad kings that we find in the Old Testament, that's where they ruled and reigned in Israel. Israel, the northern kingdom, lived largely in rebellion to the word of God. The southern kingdom was called Judah. That is uh, really where the good kings that we find in the Old Testament ruled and reigned, where they came from, from Judah. The smaller of the two kingdoms, Judah really pursued God, not perfectly, and it had some bad leaders as well, but by and large pursued God and his word. Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah. He was a good leader. He was a strong leader. He was a man who valued pursuing God personally and led those in the nation of Judah, the kingdom, the southern kingdom, to follow God as well, imposing penalties for those who did not, uh, breaking down any places of false worship. He honored God and lived for God. Difficulty came. There were always wars, the cycle that the nation of Israel was going through of following God and walking away from God and dealing with the consequence of walking away from God, coming back to God and following God. And that cycle would continue again and again. The northern nation of Israel was overtaken by an army. That army said that they would then come for the southern kingdom of Judah. Things were really bad. Hezekiah called out to God and God blessed and God worked and God defeated the enemies of Hezekiah. He was one of the good ones. Hezekiah became very ill and it was prophesied to him that because of his illness he would die. There's a prayer recorded in the book of Isaiah of Hezekiah praying and asking God to work on his behalf, speaking to the prophet and and saying, remind God that I've pursued him. Remind God that I've lived for him. Remind God that I've done right. And ask God to spare my life. We're told that the prophet came to Hezekiah and told him exactly what God would do. God would expand his life. He would heal him and expand his life for 15 more years. God healed him. 
Hezekiah had God work on his behalf with his enemies. He defeated his enemies. God did, the enemies of Hezekiah. Uh, God healed Hezekiah miraculously, extending his life 15 years, giving him an opportunity to do more than he could have done otherwise. God blessed Hezekiah physically. So many riches came into the kingdom of Judah because of the leadership of Hezekiah and the blessing of God. We're told as we learn of this story in Isaiah chapter 39 that a king came to see Hezekiah and Hezekiah being so proud of what he had, he showed that king everything. If you'd like to read this, you can in Isaiah chapter 39. Fascinating story. Showed the king everything, and the prophet then came to him and said, Hezekiah, what have you done? And Hezekiah said, well, I've shown the king everything. (laughs) You read the story, and what we understand is that Hezekiah not only showed the king everything, but he took credit for it. Instead of giving honor and glory to the God that had blessed him, that had defeated his enemies and healed his body and provided for him physically great riches, instead of giving honor and glory to God, he instead took that honor and glory for himself. Whether he did it intentionally or just got caught up in the moment, we're not told. But God, unwilling to share his glory, passed judgment on Hezekiah, but he had already promised Hezekiah a peaceful life. For 15 years beyond his illness, God, not going back on his word, sent the prophet to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, God has a word for you. I want to read these words to you. Isaiah chapter 39, beginning in verse number 5. I'm going to read down to verse 7. Please listen carefully. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. That's one verse. Hezekiah, because of what you've done, the day will come when everything your fathers left for you, all the riches that you now enjoy, they will all be taken away. That's bad. But that's not the end. Verse 7. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That is nuts. (laughs) Now we could read that and, and argue probably for a while over whether or not that was too severe a punishment for what Hezekiah had done. God is God and we are not, and God is just. We know that. I'm sure this is exactly what it was supposed to be. It was exactly right. Hard for us to understand, but exactly right from a just God. But what Hezekiah was being told was this Your past will be erased, and your future will be destroyed. We might put it this way Your legacy will be one of loss and destruction. Hezekiah, when you die, everything will die with you. And those that you say you love, those that you say you care for, will be destroyed. Now, hearing that, I don't know how you would respond. 
but we have recorded for us how Hezekiah responded. Verse number 8 of Isaiah chapter 39, here's what Hezekiah said. It said, Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, For there shall be peace and truth in my days. Hezekiah said, what God said is good, and here's why it's good. Because in my days, while I'm alive, there will be peace and truth. Now, we could take that and say what Hezekiah was doing was saying, as long as I'm here, the truth will be told, and good will happen, and peace will be experienced by all. We could look at that and say Hezekiah was speaking good words. He was responding in kind. Uh, God, do what you need to do. I'm going to be right. I'm going to do right. I'm going to follow you. You know how I read this? Hezekiah said, God, it's okay. Because I will experience peace in my own life while I'm on this earth, you do what you need to do. This is crazy to me. He had just been told that he will lose everything. That his children will be taken into captivity. His sons will be made eunuchs to work in the palace of a foreign government. And his response? I'm glad it will happen when I'm gone. That's a crazy, crazy story. But I wonder what about us? Hezekiah wasn't a deadbeat dad. He wasn't someone who walked out on his family. He wasn't one of those guys that we look at and say, well, we could expect that from them. He was one of the good guys. Maybe you're one of the good guys. You go to church, you play catch with the kids, you do the stuff you're supposed to do, you provide, uh, you maintain, you're doing all of the things that you're supposed to do. But... (laughs) You can look into the future and understand that if things don't change, it's going to be really bad for our children, for this generation coming up behind us. It's going to be really bad. But as long as I can maintain what I have, keep relative peace and security in my day, then it's going to be okay. If that's your attitude, if that's how you're living, then just like Hezekiah, when you die, your legacy will be one of loss and destruction. We have a responsibility, men, dads. And on this Father's Day, we should be reminded, Father's Day is a day where our families honor us, (laughs) however they do that. Churches honor fathers. Fathers should be honored. I absolutely believe that if culture goes forward, it's on the back of dads who are doing the right thing and working hard, and there are so many good dads. But what our culture, what our society, what our country needs more of right now are dads who are willing to look at what's happening, understand I can maintain peace in my time and just hope that I die before it gets really bad, or I can invest the moments I have preparing those children that God has placed in my home and in my life for whatever will take place in the future. You see, there is a better way. We can allow ourselves to be so overwhelmed by what's happening that we don't focus on what we need to focus on. But men, dads, if we'll invest in our kids now, 
we are giving them the tools they need to truly move forward when we're long gone. I know it can all be quite overwhelming. We don't know where to focus. A couple of things I'd like to point out just quickly. What are some things we need to teach to our kids so they can move forward in a good way? Instead of trying to uh, just live long enough to get to the brink of disaster and hope they can figure out, what should we be investing in them right now so that when we're gone, our legacy will be that we handed them everything they needed to succeed? What do they need to know? Well, the first thing we need to teach them is that the most important relationship is a relationship with God. Men, be very deliberate about that. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The most important relationship is a relationship with God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any of these because I could spend all of our time on any one of these. But if you're not modeling the importance of that to your children, you're failing them. It begins with understanding that the most important relationship is a relationship with God. The second one is this. Church matters. This is crazy to me. Our world is absolutely falling apart, and Christian families spend more time on the soccer field on Saturdays and Sundays than they do in church. They're willing to spend time away from a church community, investing in something that will not matter, undermining the importance of the local church. Church matters, but it only matters in the eyes of your children if you make it a priority. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This admonition given in Hebrews is that we are to uh, provoke one another to love and to good works, to motivate each other, to push each other into doing what we've been called by God to do, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Where does that happen? It happens in the context of the local church. We need to teach our kids that the most important relationship is a relationship with God. We need to then teach them that church matters. We need to impart to them the fact that the Bible is God's word to us. My kids need a roadmap in their lives. I hope that I can guide them. I hope that I can give them good direction, that I can uh, help them have the wisdom they need to navigate life. But I'm going to be gone, and the one thing that will last forever is God's Word. And it is His Word to us, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, it says. And yet we don't teach our kids to read or to value God's Word. Too many in our homes, even if we hold the Bible as important, the Bible is viewed by our kids as something antiquated, outdated, unimportant. The Bible is God's word to us. Second Peter one twenty one. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What a truth. What a truth. God speaks to us through the Bible. We need to then teach our kids that 
as it relates to culture. We live here, but only as ambassadors. That old song, this world is not our home, we're just passing through. That needs to be the heartbeat of every Christian. But our children need to have that communicated to them. Why? Because then whatever's happening in culture is happening. They're living here. They must navigate it, of course. They need to see it clearly, of course. But this is not all they have. So many, even Christian people, live like this is all there is. Why? Because they were taught from children by their parents, by their dads. A culture is just that important. We live here, but only as ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Paul said we're ambassadors. We represent Him to others. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We live here. We need to exist here. We need to operate here and function here. We need to be wise here, but we're just ambassadors. Understanding that we need to have the right perspective. What we need, and we must teach our kids, we need to have a biblical world view. I've talked about this often. I'll talk about it oftener, (laughs) more in the future. Having a biblical world view means that we view the world through the lens of the Bible. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to teach our children not only to value the Bible as God's Word, but then to use it as the lens, that thing in front of our eyes that allows us to appropriately see what's happening in the world around us. I believe it's also, finally, very important. And I don't have a verse for this. I'll I'll say that up front. (laughs) But I believe it is very important that we teach our kids As Americans, the Constitution of the United States is a gift that allows us to live for God. I don't have a verse for that, but I want to explain it and why I think it's so important that we teach our kids this lesson. We believe that having a relationship with God is the most important relationship we can have. We need to live for Him as ambassadors in a culture and in the world that is so often out of control in the context of a local church environment because church matters. We need to have a biblical worldview. We need to do all of those things. And thankfully, in the United States, we have the freedom to do those out in the open. People may not like it. They can say stuff about it. But we have the freedom to be what God has called us and created us to be out in the open. And yet, right now, there are a lot of people that are trying to strip our constitutional rights. In the past year, some of those have been infringed upon, including the right to gather in a church setting. In many places, the right to speak the truth of God's Word is being taken away. People are being silenced. 
our right to pursue God and His plan for our lives as He has seen fit to design us to fulfill and has given us direction in His Word. Uh, Those rights, the freedom to do that is being taken away. And there are a lot of Christian people right now that are freely allowing it to be taken away. They're freely allowing their freedom to be taken from them because they don't understand the rights given to us in a God-ordained, it's not the Bible, it's not Scripture, but I believe it's God-ordained and God-protected Constitution of the United States. Let me be very careful. The Constitution is not equal with the Bible. But I believe that men were used by God to establish these United States for God's purpose. Religious freedom around the world, in spite of the challenges we've had as a nation, religious freedom around the world birthed in these United States. Missionaries sent to nations around the world from the United States. Uh, Institutions who, who teach, that teach young men and women to understand the Word of God and preach and teach the Word of God and share the gospel here in the United States. Revivals here in the United States. God has used us, and the ability to be used has been largely protected by our governing document, the Constitution, and yet if Christian people don't know what rights they have guaranteed, they'll give those rights up and struggle to do what God has called them to do. Now let me be very clear, there may be a time when the Constitution has been invalidated and all of our rights have been taken away. Our kids also need to be taught that it's still right to have a relationship with God, to gather in a church setting, to uh, see the world from a biblical perspective, to be ambassadors, even if we don't have the legal protections of the government. But as long as we do, we must take advantage of the freedoms guaranteed in the Constitution and protected by the blood of so many men and women of generations past. Men, on this Father's Day, will you recommit to fight for your legacy, that which has happened in the past, and for your children's future? Will you reclaim that? Teach, train, mentor, and lead in such a way that when you are gone, what you have sown into the lives of your kids will carry them forward. To me, that's march or die. It would be easier to just say, I hope I'm not around when it gets really bad. You know what that is? That's a death mindset. Marching. Putting one foot in front of the other is looking at the world as it is, understanding our culture for what it is, and determining, dads, I've been called by God to lead my family, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. When I'm gone, when I can't speak into their lives anymore, I will have sown in them everything they need to navigate forward in a good way, they're going to know that a relationship with God is the most important relationship they could have. They're going to understand that they may live in this world, but they're simply ambassadors in this world. They're going to value the local church as Jesus did, who gave his blood for it. They're going to look at the world through the lens of the Bible. 
And they're going to value the freedom that they have and take full advantage of it, not for personal gain, but so that they can worship God as he has created and called them to do. On this Father's Day weekend, men, recommit to march. March for your family. March for your faith. March because it's what God has created and called you to do. Appreciate you listening. Look forward to talking to you next time. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Christian prayer meditation. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com dot com.